Reformed and Evangelical, Confessional and Missional. Welcome to Creeds and Deeds. Today we're called into worship from Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Monday, August 12, 2019, Hans Gooseflesh, the Accidental Reformer. So if you know much about the Reformation, one of the big things that propelled the Reformation, we know, is the printing press. The printing press had been recently created, and the creation of it allowed people like Martin Luther to publish books in mass for the first time in history without having to have scribes that copied them again and again in order to get them out there. And this allowed the Reformation books to spread like wildfire, wildfire, I mean, throughout all of uh, Germany and then Europe. And so today we're looking at Hans Gooseflesh, who was very instrumental in bringing about the printing press. Hans Gooseflesh came of age at the turn of the 14th and 15th centuries, when the prevailing spirit of the age was, God must be angry. His parents and grandparents were the generation that watched the Black Death eliminate a third of the continent's population. In some European villages, as many as 60% of the people perished. He was born into an upper-class family. His dad was a goldsmith, a companion of the mint, they called him, a maker of coins and medallions. As he roamed around his father's shop as a boy, he no doubt marveled at and probably even assisted in the process of striking coins. Molten metal was poured into molds, which were like tiny little cake pans with scripts and images already debossed in the pans. The mold was made from dye, from a dye strong enough to punch a clean impression of the coin onto it. The dye itself was meticulously engraved by hand into tempered steel by craftsmen using sharp jeweler-like tools capable of removing steel from steel as easily as shaving butter from pat or but, shaving a butter pat from the stick. So, when Han, or Hans, though, was not to inherit the family business, 
an uprising of guildsmen against the employers, which included Hans's father, caused the family to relocate to Eltville. So, Hans needed to seek other job opportunities. In the wake of the plague's devastation, Roman Catholicism fostered an extraordinary consumer market in religious goods and services. Beyond the peddling of everyday rosaries, tokens, icons, and crucifixes to supply the faithful and penitent, a booming tourist industry emerged, attracting hundreds of thousands of Catholic pilgrims eager to see relics recovered from the Holy Land. An ox eye was a badge with a mirror on it that you could wear when visiting the displayed relics. The idea was that if the the mirror on the badge caught the reflection of the relic, well, how couldn't you be blessed? The Cathedral of Aiken housed four so-called great relics then, and still does. Mary's cloak, Christ's swaddling clothes, St. John's beheading cloth, and Christ's loincloth. Hans Gooseflesh formed a startup aimed at cornering the market for ox eyes at the 1439 Aiken pilgrimage, projected to draw more than 100,000 pilgrims. Leveraging his expertise in coin making, he planned to mass produce 32,000 ox eyes and make a 2,500% profit on the venture. Unfortunately, it turned out to be a bad attendance year. The venture failed. Hans and his investors lost their shirts. But in the process of engineering oxide production, they created some significant intellectual property. Lemons into books. Knowledge transfer was shifting from oral transmission to inscribed manuals, directories, storages, or stories and histories. People wanted books. Most of the demand was supplied by copyists and scribes who, when working earnestly, might be able to knock out a single, and I mean single, like one book, volume of Bible commentary once every five years. The innovation of woodblock printing helped the uptake of book supply, but woodblocks were unforgiving to air, easily breakable, and limited to a single use. Hans Gooseflesh made lemonade from the lemon of his failed oxeye startup. In the process of figuring out how to make souvenirs for the Eichen pilgrims, he conceived of a method of building forms into which a collection of metal characters could be racked to create, if you will, a metal block rather than a wood block that could be used to print sharp, readable words on a page and then be unracked, reordered, and reused to create new forms for entirely different projects. It was, very, it was a variation of the dye, mold, and punch making of his childhood, performed in miniature to muster legions of metal mercenaries perpetually ready for redeployment. Johann's Gooseflesh Zur Laden zum Gutenberg Anglicized to Hans Gooseflesh, was dead 50 years before Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door. He never preached a sermon, never authored a theological treatise. Instead, or indeed, Hans Gooseflesh, apart from his eponymous Gutenberg Bible that everybody knows is the very first thing ever 
created on a printing press, did a banner business in printing papal indulgences. He was a reformer only by accident, or better, by common grace. But the printing industry, uh, the printing industry's quick standardization of the Gutenberg system of movable type created a production and distribution capability that enabled Luther's titles to occupy 30% of an unheard of 7 million books uh, on the market in Germany between 1518 and 1525. The Chinese had invented movable type seven centuries before, but their writing system was too complex to make use of it. The Muslim world resisted the use of printing for 400 years after the invention of movable type. So, in one unique window of human history, God raised up a ne'er-to-do-well tchotchke maker to pave the way for, the, for a spiritually tortured monk and his successors to reclaim the word of God and reset the history of redemption. Westminster Larger Catechism Question 20 What was the providence of God toward man in the state in which he was created? Answer The providence of God toward man in the estate in which he was created was the placing of him in paradise, appointing him to dress it, giving him liberty to eat from the fruit of the earth, putting creatures under his dominion, and ordaining marriage for his help, affording him communion with himself, instituting the Sabbath, entering into a covenant of life with him, upon condition of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience, of which the tree of life was a pledge, and forbidding to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. Scripture Proof, Genesis 2, verses 8, 15, and 16. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, let's meditate on God's Word and spend time in prayer with Him. Beginning with this verse for preparation, Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your, hand, of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Adoration. Romans 15, verses 4 through 6. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now, may the God 
who gives perseverance and encouragement, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Confession of Sin Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Thanksgiving, Psalm 54, verse 6. Willingly I sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Supplication and requests. Psalm 143, verses 1 and 2. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no man living is righteous. Now join me in the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.